glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast. In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. And? And? Back in the early spring, or late, or late winter, early spring. Okay. We were making jokes about being the most famous people to ever come from Stratford. That's true. As if there were no beebs. <laughs> we did it by, uh, by comparing iTunes uh, favorability. That's true. It appears we still have a five-star rating. Perfect five stars. And we are all the way up to 13 reviews. Wow. And by that, I just mean people that click the like, stars. Right. But we do have some actual reviews that people yes. wrote down. Yes. And we don't we don't check these. We don't. Really, so these are older than... <laughs> we're like nine months in, and we're finally checking these. <laughs> so, the, so apologies for not getting these read earlier. Sure. Uh, but back in March... We had someone say, these podcasts are helpful. Hmm. That's nice. Your bantering makes us laugh. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes it makes them cringe. I, I wish there was a big comma there, or a couple, <laughs> just to build the suspense. Sure. But what a nice thing to say. That is very nice. I keep up the good work, is what they said. Hmm. And then, in July, it was posted, thank you for providing this resource. I wouldn't be as engaged in reading the Bible chronologically without this podcast. See, that's awesome. That is. That's literally what this is for. That's, yeah. That's, I'm so glad to hear that that's how it's working. <laughs> I hope those people still listen to this podcast. I hope so, too. I hope they hear this podcast so they can get the recognition that's a few months overdue. <laughs> and, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking at my iTunes right now, mm. and I see the five empty stars just waiting for me to tap. Yeah. I can't bring myself to do it. I know. I haven't done it either. Rate my own. Yeah. Right. I can't do it. <laughs> this is not to say, oh, we've made it. Because we've not made it mm. until someone we don't know gives us a one-star scourging email. That's true. That's how you know you've made it, when people are attempting to bring you down. Yeah, when you get the hate. That's when you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We don't have any haters yet, so we're not famous. We have two because we each have mothers. Maybe that's where, <laughs> maybe that's where those came from. Uh, but but speaking of that, I, I I got a text this morning. Okay. And this is gonna this is gonna be way late because we're like three weeks ahead of the listening audience. Mm -hmm. I got a text this morning from my brother back in Arkansas, mm. who said, "Valley of Dry Bones is a vision." I think. <laughs> but man, if it wasn't. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it would have to be supernatural. And he said, yes, but do you have any biblical evidence of God breathing life into a lifeless body? Hmm. A couple of times, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but not on that scale. Hold on. Did you just use scale of miracle to bring about the improbability of God's work? What I'm suggesting is that if something of that magnitude and that scale occurred, there'd be some kind of recognition. It might have been written down okay. in the Bible or something. Oh, man. It's a, because it would be an event of biblical proportion. It would. 
<laughs> All right. This is fun. So this no, is already a fun podcast. We're, we're talking about something we've already been over, Tim. So let's, let's... Let's move on to things that we haven't been over. That's right. All right, then let's let's talk about Esther. Yeah, we got Esther. We got the back half of Ezra. We got all of Nehemiah and Malachi. Yes. Which means this is the end of the Old Testament for us. It's kind of like graduation day. It kind of is. It's it's a it's crossing a finish line. Mm-hmm. It's not the finish line. No. It's like, hey, you did great, but there's more. Yeah. But that's good. And and later this week, hopefully it'll air somewhere and sort of in the realm of this particular podcast. Sure. We're going to record a podcast on the intertestamental period. Mm-hmm. There's big gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, not theologically, mm. but historically. Yeah, there's like 400 plus years. We want to talk about that history mm-hmm. because history is a key component in a chronological Bible reading. And so we don't want to leave people with sort of like a feeling like Malachi went to sleep and woke up and there was John the Baptist. Right. <laughs> um, so that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. So stick around. Mm. Forest. Mm-hmm. Forest. Yeah. So what I read in all of the reading actually this week was just God preserving the remnant. Mm-hmm. Right. They're under threat. They're, they've been tasked to do certain things. Um, people are still trying to destroy them, but this destruction that's that's being planned is not something that's God ordained. And so, rather than him, you know, be the agent of punishment and discipline, he's actually going to be the agent that rescues them and preserves them, right, from utter destruction. Right. Yeah. And so that remnant that uh, Isaiah, in particular, mm-hmm. uh, Elijah, Ze- not Elijah, Ezekiel, we're all talking about. God will preserve for himself a people. They have been sustained yeah. and preserved, and they are returning. Mm-hmm. Um, and since all the people who weren't really into it are gone, the new people come into it, and everything's rainbows and roses. <laughs> not, not exactly. Not exactly. Yeah, let's talk about Esther. Okay. Yeah, so, so Esther kind of opens up, right, with the Persian king. And he's got a wife named Vashti. Mm-hmm. And uh, as he's throwing a party, he's like, hey, Vashti, come over here so that everyone can see how beautiful you are. I can show you off. Mm-hmm. And she says, no, not feeling it. Right. And he gets angry. Right. And so he asks people, what do I have to do? What What's the law? What do I do about this? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is really interesting. Because they come in and they say, well, anyone who defies the king, this is the rule. But this is bigger than someone defying the king. Mm. This, is, this is sort of like, this is sort of boys talking in the garage kind of moment. <laughs> totally. They call him aside and they're like, the, the correct word here is dude. Mm. Bro, Seriously. If you let her get away with this, mm-hmm. my wife is not going to listen to me. <laughs> That's pretty much exactly what happens. <laughs> you got to do you got to do me a solid. Mm-hmm. You got to you got to do this. This is not just about someone defying the king. This is for every man in the kingdom. Mm. There will be a rebellion of wives 
because this news will spread. Right. <laughs> so whether that's true or maybe a little bit overblown, I, I tend to think it might be it might be the latter. Uh, the king decides, okay, it's time for a new wife. Right. So, <laughs> so under the pressure of his buddies, yeah, he not only leaves his wife, kicks her completely out of the kingdom. Yeah, like you're gone. Yeah, take off. Sorry, mm-hmm. because the guys. Yeah, you, yeah. So you understand, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so Esther ends up being chosen, and Esther is uh, one of the the Jewish people who has been taken to the uh, the Babylonian kingdom. In fact, I think it's probably safe to say that she was probably born there. She probably wasn't even born in Judea. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's an orphan. She's being right. raised by her cousin, Mordecai, who plays a significant role. And uh, yeah, she's beautiful, and that's noticed. And amongst all the young ladies, she gets elevated to be the queen. Right, and and... One thing that I think we should really point out here is this is exile literature. So it's taking place during the exile. Mm -hmm. The exile is not just one thing. It's not even just one people. Mm. When Israel is scattered, it's like a rock in a puddle. And people go in all kinds of directions. Right. And so that we have a group that is coming back and rebuilding Jerusalem we still have people that are out not coming back. That's true, yeah. Right? Not all of the Jews are going to come back mm-hmm. ever, right, According in this period. And so so let's not get confused and be like, whoa, I thought they were already coming back. Why are they still—this is very—the setting is almost Daniel-like. Why are they still out just sort of living out amongst these foreign nations? Shouldn't they be coming back? Mm. No, there's— this is a very complex kind of thing, and this is sort of like simultaneous happenings all over the region. Mm-hmm. Um, the exile is not just one solid storyline, one group of people all doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, they weren't removed all at once, and they certainly don't return all at once. Yeah, it's not the Exodus. No, no, it's not. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, so anyways, as Esther is um, elevated to this position, Mordecai, her cousin, discovers a plot. Ooh. To kill the king. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Big Than and Teresh. They just sound like bad guys. They do. Yeah. Big Than and Teresh. I feel like Big Their Than. Their mothers should have known that they were setting them up for a life of crime. Yeah. Yeah. I just read those names and I envision like the cartoon, the the, the classic like cartoon criminal duo. Right. Big Than's just kind of like this big hulking dude who's. With big chin. Yeah. Not very smart. Yeah. Right. And then Teresh is kind of more like this like conniving kind of lean sure, dude with sure. like maybe a curly mustache of some kind. I don't know. But anyways, he uh, discovers this plot mm-hmm. um, and alerts the queen who alerts the king. And the king's rescued and it's great and it's fantastic. It is. It is. At least until they elevate the next kind of second in command guy. Whose sure. name is Haman. Right. And uh, he's not a fan of Mordecai because Mordecai won't bow to him. Interesting. And so what does Haman decide? He decides he's going to eradicate all of the Jewish people. This guy, <laughs> this guy has no sense of gradation. No. <laughs> no. Like, you're not going to bow to me doesn't mean I'm going to have you imprisoned. Mm. I'm going to have you killed. Right. 
It means every person who has ever been related to you in any way mm. is going down. Yeah. Like literal genocide over a slight. Right. <laughs> so Haman's a bad dude. Um, and so Esther discovers that this this plan is being hatched and she kind of wrestles with what to do about it. Right. Right. The propri- propriety of, you know, in that empire was she didn't just go uninvited to the king. Right. But she does mm-hmm. anyways. Risks mm-hmm. risk her own neck. Because how is she to know mm-hmm. if she wasn't born for, a for, for such a moment as this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashtag life verse. <laughs> <laughs> That's another one of those life verses that people grab hold of. Sure. But here's the thing. I'll defend this one. Mm. Maybe not as an entire life verse. Mm-hmm. Uh but I think this one does play into our context. I agree. In a way to say, as we look at the providential unfoldings of God throughout all of history, we have been placed in a time and place for such a time as this, for yeah. a reason. Yeah. And and here's what that probably doesn't mean, for your glory. Mm. Right? If you think that and you're like, hey— I could become rich and famous off this. This is probably what I was born for, for such a moment as this, right? You know, you're, you're lining up a good Canadian analogy, mm. right? You know, playoffs, game seven, mm-hmm. penalty shot. Mm. Born for such a moment as this. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. But, yeah. but to minister to those around you, mm-hmm. to be an impact for the gospel and for the glory of God, yeah, yeah, and, and I would say that when we, when we just sit stagnant or grow apathetic, we are taking that charge that we've been given, that moment that we've been placed into, and we are, uh, we're just letting it go to waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Carry on. Sorry. So no, no. So Esther, kind of risking her her own well being, approaches the king, invites him and Haman to a dinner party. Yes. Only to ask them to come to another dinner party right. later on. Just I'm kind of curious as to why why that decision was made. Yeah, I, I wonder if if like that was the plan from the beginning, or if she called them in and then she like kind of chickened out, freaked out, and was like, "I can't do this." Yeah, yeah. Who knows? In any case, but in the process, yeah. In the meantime, yeah. In the meantime, uh, Haman is kind of even more inflated mm-hmm. by because he was included in that dinner party, yeah. and he decides, you know what? I feel so good. I think I'm going to hang Mordecai. Right. I'm going to build a gallows 50 cubits high. That's a 150 foot tall gallows. Mm-hmm. That's a long drop. That is. That's a long drop. The mm-hmm. British would always do the long drop when they hung people because they felt like it was more humane. But mm-hmm. in this case, I think he's just trying to make a spectacle of it. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then there's this hilarious situation where that night the king just can't sleep. Yeah, it happens to us. He just can't sleep. You know what? And I, f- I felt this before was because someone did something really great for him. Mm-hmm. And he feels like, I didn't properly reward this person right. for the good thing they did to me. And that person happens to be? Mordecai. Mordecai. Yeah. And the discovering of the plot. Yeah. And so he goes to Haman and he says, Haman, if I were to honor this a really good guy. Hypothetically. Hypothetically, right? If Let's I were, say there's a guy that I liked. Yeah. Liked him a lot. And really wanted to show him how how much I appreciate him. What would I do? 
And Heyman, Heyman's <laughs> like, obviously, this is me. Right. Of course. Right. Because who else? It, it even says, like, who else would the king love more than me? Right. <laughs> Thinks that to himself. So he yeah. he he recommends this elaborate parade with all of these honors, which and- is a really weird honor. So his honor, the best thing that he could hope for is not himself to be elevated, mm. but to parade around in the king's clothes. Right. <laughs> this the- is like the equivalent of getting the game-worn jersey. Right. Which is really cool mm. when you're 10. Mm-hmm. The key to the city from the mayor. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like that. You get to play mayor for the day. Right. So he wants to, he wants to go around in the king's escort mm-hmm. wearing a robe. And having someone yell, this is what the king does for those whom he favors. Mm. And the king says, that's brilliant. <laughs> what a great idea. Why don't you do that for Mordecai? <laughs> and just to j- the exclamation point on it, the exclamation point on it is instead of having a servant lead him, being the herald, I'm going to have my second in command be a herald. A servant leading his horse and heralding for him. Why don't you go do that, Mordecai? It's Come so, back and let me know how it went. It's so great. It's it's just it's just amazing. It's fantastic. Um, so at the second dinner party, Esther works up the courage to reveal Haman's plot, and uh, and the king is furious. <laughs> He steps out for a moment. He's so upset. Yeah, he's got to cool his head. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out. I'm going to think about this. I'll yeah. be right back. Yeah. And then when he comes back, Haman is, like, all over Esther, like, trying to get her to change her mind or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, looks like he's assaulting her. And so the king's like, you're going to assault my own wife? Right. In my own house? Right. Because uh, I don't have time for questions. Yeah. You're going to die now. That's just period. And there happens to be a guy in the corner. Yeah. This is <laughs> FYI. I know where there are some gallows already built. <laughs> Where'd this guy come from? And what does he have against Haman? Yeah. That he's reveling. It, it to me it feels like he's reveling in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, hey, hey, King, <laughs> we can make this easy. I got a great idea. Oh man. The irony is just so rich in Nestor. It's yeah. it's so good. But then there's but then there's a flip side irony. Mm. In that Mordecai becomes then that second in command. Yeah. And then they go after the enemies of the Jews. Yeah, yeah. So the whole the whole plot is like reversed. Right. And they start slaying people left and right. Yeah. So all the people who were gathering who were getting ready to destroy the Jews end up being destroyed by the Jews with the seal of approval from the emperor. And then Esther actually goes to the king and says, hey, yeah, I know we killed all these enemies today but can we do it again right and he's like yeah sure and then they declare a feast over it yeah here's what here's what i think that we should recognize in this not once is the name of god mentioned no there are no prayers there's no vision from god this is a this this is very detached there's no there's no uh recognition of covenant Mm. of them as God's people. This is really detached from all things God, Mm. except that they are the Jews, and this is a means of preservation of his people. Sure. 
was it right for them to turn the tables and bring about that kind of attack? The scripture doesn't say. Right. It neither condemns nor justifies. Right. Um, it doesn't sit well with me, personally. Mm. And then they declare for themselves a feast mm. that is to be carried out that wasn't declared by God. Right. Setting up their own feast. Uh, you remember back in, is it, is it in Haggai where he says, Ephraim established these kings, but I knew them not? Right. Yeah. Right? So feasts and slaughters, not, or, not spoken and ordained by God. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to say that, that this is categorically how it needs to be read. I'm just saying this is an option for reading this. That mm. uh, That's just kind of how it sits with me. Uh, I, I don't think it can be biblically proved one way or the other. No. Um, yeah, I, I see. I kind of took the opposite task. I was like, yeah, get them. <laughs> that's kind of where I was at. I was like, yeah, man, these people were ready to commit genocide. They were, they were literally, they were part of this plot to eradicate innocent people. And so by the, the order, by the decree of the king. Yeah, but it was, yeah, but that plan was hatched and deceitful manner and they were not the deceivers but they flipped the but they flipped the script on them right the tables have turned yeah. i i don't know there's a little Turnabout's bit about fair play poetic justice there i don't know yeah if they were the deceivers so that that, that it comes on Haman. Mm. sure mm -hmm. um yeah but the people's out of the land i don't know i yeah. don't know yeah in any case we uh we move on Ezra and Nehemiah, very different than Esther. Yes. They are praying. Yep. They are worshiping God. Mm -hmm. They are going to the temple to do sacrifices, mm -hmm. recognizing feasts that have been brought. I'm going to point now while I'm talking because Marshall gets bent out of shape when I point at the clock <laughs> while he's talking. Uh, they, <laughs> they are uh, recognizing all the things that uh, they've been told to recognize, the feasts and the observances. Uh, so back into a very people of God conversation. Right. These books are full of that. Mm -hmm. And all the way through Malachi. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I love I love uh, Ezra's role. When we're introduced to him in, in chapter 7, uh, he's to study God's law, mm -hmm. to do it, right, and to teach it. Right. And I feel like those are three components, particularly for those of us who find ourselves in uh, leadership of the church. Mm -hmm. Study it. Because if you don't know it, you can't really do it. But you got to carry that knowledge and practice it. And then once you've been able to do that, then teach it. Right. Right. Um, but with, yeah. With the help of Artaxerxes. Yeah. Which is, Xerxes. which is awesome. Which is just crazy that he feels so passionately that he's going to, it's important that they gather the people together, send them back, that they're teaching the people the law of God, that they're practicing mm -hmm. the sacrifices and feasts that they're meant to do. Um, but he he talks about why he's passionate. Hmm. These are polytheistic societies, and he says, "Lest that God would come against us." Right. Right. So so in polytheism, even to this day, there's a lot of sort of like, "Oh, we discovered that there's a new God. We should yeah do a sacrifice to that God too, because hmm. um, we don't want him to come against us." Right. It was in ignorance that we weren't sacrificing to him already. Very much the sort of Greek uh, to the altar of the unknown God kind of a thing. 
Um, and so it seems like Xerxes is like, hey, I, I don't want you come your God coming up against me, so by all means, let's support him too <laughs> and give right. these people what they need to do it, right? Right. Tax, right. tax exempt. <laughs> tax exempt worship. That's true. That's true. In the Old Testament. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, and I mean, so as, and Ezra is kind of just, you know, he's calling out the people for their sin, notably like the intermarriage and the mingling, right? And they're getting, mm-hmm. you know, they're repenting of that. Some of the same things that they're, that they did when they first moved into Canaan. Yeah. Exact same stuff. Yeah, it's the same stuff. Yeah. Same song, second verse. Yeah, pretty much. Could be better. <laughs> I don't know that it gets worse. <laughs> I don't know that it could. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the same stuff yeah. and pops then, up again almost immediately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so in Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is a contemporary of Ezra, mm-hmm. right? He's a cupbearer to the king of Persia. Yes. And he asks, hey, look, people are in bad shape. Can I go back? Right. Can I, can I help fix all the problems that are going on there? He gets there. The walls are just in ruins. Right. Right. And that's an important thing for, at that time for a city to have walls, mm-hmm. to be safe, to be protected. Um. And there's opposition, of course, from the uh, Gentile peoples living in the area. Um, Accusation of rebellion again. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah. Which, again, like not out of character for the Jewish people, but not accurate in this case. Right. Um, they were actually doing it with the, the blessing mm-hmm. of, of the king of Persia. You know, what, you know what Nehemiah says about these guys twice mm-hmm. that I love? When, when people aren't right, Nehemiah just says, Remember them, oh Lord. <laughs> and he leaves it to that. <laughs> Remember them. <laughs> he doesn't go like David with like, you know, knock out their teeth or yeah, anything. He's yeah, just yeah. he just leaves it in this sort of ominous ambiguity. Mm. Remember them, oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they make a plan to defend their work, right? Half the guys are armed while the other half worked. Mm-hmm. Right. And they get the job done, right? Nehemiah is also concerned with like just the, the the ethical practices of the people puts an end to the oppression of the poor. Um, yeah, charging charging interest to one another. Yeah, yeah, just stops that altogether. Um, Ezra chapter, or sorry, Nehemiah chapter eight, when Ezra reads the law. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Gold. Yeah, the people are all together, and he's reading the law, and then there's a, a list of Levites who are kind of like going out amongst the people and like helping them to understand it. So Ezra is reading the law, but in certain cases, it's maybe not abundantly clear what the implications of that are. Mm -hmm. And so these guys are tasked with helping the people to, to understand and interpret what it is that they're hearing. Um, And I found that really that that, that's important. Right. Right. That, I mean, and that's kind of what we're trying to do with even this podcast to some degree. Right. Right. Cause there's a lot of things that we can read in the scriptures that aren't abundantly clear. Like what's the importance here? What's the significance here? Right. Or how does this apply to our current context? Right. Cause just as we live in a very different context than uh, they did, e- even there's, there's, there's differences between, you know, the people at the time of Moses and the people at the time of Ezra. And so how do we apply? Right. Mm-hmm. There's m- certainly more continuity, but it's not. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that we learn in this is, is yeah, there there's some of the sins of Israel, so that some of the things that they're doing that we just look at and we're like, you're at it again, mm. right? But a lot of, a portion of this at least, mm-hmm. is ignorance. Yeah, totally. 
right? So so at this point, we, we know that people are not necessarily speaking Hebrew. Mm. Um, at the, towards the end of the exile, things are getting translated into Greek, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the law is being spread out that way. Uh, and so when Ezra reads the law, what do they do? They're like, Feast of Booths. Yeah. All right, let's build booths. Hadn't been observed since Joshua. Joshua. Like they haven't, this is something they were supposed to do and they haven't done it since Joshua. That's like podcast episode three. (laughs) We're talking like, I mean, I don't know how many years we're talking. It's got to be close to a thousand. Right. It's got to be close to a thousand years that they have not observed this feast. Anyways. And they repent of their sins. Yeah. Oh, I love it. They're confessing their sin. And in their confession of their sin, they like, there's like this recalling of their history. Like from Abraham right up to where they are. Right. And it's just yeah. like God's faithfulness, their unfaithfulness, and yet here they are. And then they seal the covenant. Yep. With a long genealogy. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Good old genealogies. All right. And then we come to the final book of the Old Testament. Malachi. Mal- Shout out to my nephew. Malachi. 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 I like actually that's a good name. It's a strong name. Um I want to think that my brother probably named him that because of how Malachi handles opposition. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So Malachi um Malachi is the last of the Old Testament prophets. Mm-hmm. And um I think he's he's kind of responding to the fact that I think the people of Israel may have assumed that the fulfillment of the new covenant promise was going to be imminent because, hey, we're back here. We built the temple. We're doing the things that we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Why why are we not seeing, you know, this, this, this promise come to pass? And he kind of calls them out. He's like, look, the, yes, you're doing sacrifices, but they're polluted sacrifices. Your blind animals and your sick animals, right? The, the scraping the bottom of the barrel of your herds right. and offering that to God. Mm-mm-mm. He's not happy with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and in this, in this, when he's talking about how it is they should be given mm. giving, um, he he calls out the priests, and he says, "Listen, I'm so upset with the way you're going about this. I'm gonna smack you in the face with poop. Yeah, I'm gonna rub your face in it, and I'm gonna walk away." That's how I feel about you right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. And so, and he's calling them out, right? He's calling them out for infidelity and divorce, right? These guys who are just like ditching their wives. Yeah. Um, and, and in it, in, in chapter three, verse six, there's a passage that we really need to, to hit on. Mm-hmm. And that's the charge about robbing God. Robbing him uh, with tithes and offerings. Mm -hmm. This is a very dangerously misused passage. Agreed. Prosperity gospel churches use this passage all the time Mm -hmm. to say, the reason you have not is because you give not. Right. And if you would give your tithe and offering, your storehouses would abound. Mm -hmm. Right? And so... This is, it's necessary in here that we recognize 
the differentiation between Old Testament theology and the New Testament church, mm-hmm. right? The Old Covenant that is the covenant of the law and the covenant of redemption and grace under Christ, mm-hmm. right? Because we, we said from the beginning, especially when we were in the law, we were talking about how the law applies to Israel, how it applies to us sure. in ways mm-hmm. as a shadow of what is to come, mm-hmm. but not in, in the same way that it applied to them. This is worship. Mm. This is about delivering worship to God mm. for a physical people who live a very physical covenant. Mm-hmm. in a physical place. Mm-hmm. And if they would bring their worship, they would abound in the favor of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the same is true for us. It is not necessarily a financial scheme. Yeah. And that's the way it's given. And so this is where you'll hear prosperity pastors talk all the time about planting your seed, mm-hmm. planting your seed, and he'll fill up your storehouses. Yeah. Right? Uh, that's that's not okay with me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a misuse of this passage, uh, and and I've I've sat in churches that will time and time again say this. Read this passage right before the offering goes out, right? right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And so so I think it just needs to be pointed out that is maybe not out of context in the chapter mm-hmm. or even in the book of Malachi, but it's out of context in that you're bringing an old covenant promise into the new covenant that doesn't carry over verbatim. Yeah. It carries over idea for idea, but not word for word. Yeah, totally. And I think the, like we understand that the blessings of the new covenant are primarily spiritual. Right. Um, That being said, in like my own experience, I like when Candace and I were first married seven years ago. Now we struggled at first to give financially because we had so little mm-hmm. um when we when we followed our conviction to begin giving um it wasn't suddenly that like we were just being showered from the heavens with money but there was a spiritual blessing of peace over our financial situation mm-hmm. right not that we got everything we wanted but that we had everything we needed although just to contradict my own point mm. you did get the cube I mean, I got a pretty sick ride. I now that you're rolling in the cube. The Nissan cube. Right. It's hard to deny the uh, the, the power lo- of prosperity gospel. The Lord's favor on yeah. me. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And so, and then Malachi, after this, you know, long discussion about those who are robbing God, it concludes chapter four, which is a very short one, about the great day of the Lord mm-hmm. that is coming. Right. And, and in that we get... Um, we get prophecy about the coming of Christ and we get prophecy of the coming of John the Baptist. Um, the very end when he talks about sending Elijah the prophet and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Um, that's Those are the words that are given to Zechariah when he's told that Elijah will be born to his wife. Um, not that John the Baptist is a, the reincarnation of Elijah but that he operates, as the angel tells him, in the spirit of Elijah, calling the people away from their sin and preparing them for the one who is coming. Right. And uh, which is an amazing place to leave it. Yeah. Because 
then you open the uh, you open the text to the birth of that king. Yeah, which is just fantastic. Yeah, highlights. Uh, highlights for me. Um, it's just kind of the 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 theme of irony in in the Book of Esther. I just I, I just enjoyed the reading of just Haman getting getting what he deserved. Right. I mean, having to having to lead that parade. It's just it's just gold. It really is. Yeah, I, I'm going to I'm going to also go with something uh, less spiritual. I think probably the right answer is Nehemiah or not Nehemiah, but uh, Malachi in the, the kingdom to come kind of a thing. But uh, but Nehemiah gets upset with some people. And uh, and he rips their hair out. <laughs> right? Seems extreme. It says in, in 1325, and I confronted them, and I cursed them, and I beat some of them, and I pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons. Yeah. <laughs> that's, how, that's how Nehemiah handles assimilation. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Oh man, spare the rod, spoil the child <laughs> of Israel. <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you later. Take care. <laughs>